And it might take you a while, so you can go ahead and start trying to find the book of Hosea. Book of Hosea. This is not a surprise because it's our last chapel before camp, and it's a great opportunity for us to dig into our camp theme as well as prepare our hearts for um, our time together and our time away. Hosea chapter 10. Some of you are using the index, which is not a bad thing. Use every tool that's available to you to find it. Hosea chapter 10. And our theme verse is found there in Hosea chapter 10 and verse number 12. We're going to look at a lot of the entirety of the chapter this afternoon, but specifically verse 12 is our focus. Hosea 10.12 says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Dear Lord, we pray that you would be honored in this time. Lord, you are a loving merciful and long-suffering God. We thank you for that. We thank you for your mercy and your long-suffering with us. I thank you for that in my own life, that you have been merciful and long-suffering to me. And Lord, as we prepare our hearts and prepare our minds to hear from you in this coming week as we approach winter camp and we look forward to Perhaps the good times we'll have together, but also we look forward to you speaking to our hearts from your word, how we need to hear from you. I pray that we would learn and glean the lesson that you're trying to teach your people, Israel, in this chapter and in this verse, that we would learn what you want them to learn, but then specifically you have preserved it for us and delivered it to us here today. 2024, this youth group, at these different ages where these young people find themselves, you, you've given it to us today because there's something, a message that you would have for us to take away as well. And I pray that you'd help us to clearly see what that is and that we would uh, make application to our lives. Guide my words. Lord, I need your help today. And I pray that this would honor and glorify you as we spend time in your word. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12, God has three basic messages for his people. He says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. And so our outline today is, pretty simple with these three different commands that God communicates to his people. The very first command is found in the first word. He says, sow to yourselves in righteousness and reap in mercy. Now the word we're going to look at is not necessarily the word sow, but we want to understand what God is speaking of in this first phrase. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. 
And really, to summarize what God is communicating to his people, he's telling the nation of Israel that they need to repent. They need to repent. And you'll see this as we kind of go through chapter number one. And so I want to show you a little bit of the sin that God confronts his people with here in chapter number one. Notice verse number one, and this will outline the sin that God is calling them to repent from. Uh, he, he, he'll, it'll outline that which God wants his people to turn from and to turn to him. In verse number one, it says, Israel, that is the northern kingdom, that is the major focus of Hosea's ministry is the kingdom of Israel. In fact, he is the only of the the written prophets, those that we have books recorded from their ministries in our Bibles. He's the only prophet who was born in the northern kingdom and preached to the northern kingdom. There were other prophets that were born in perhaps the southern kingdom and they preached to the northern kingdom. But specifically, this is Hosea's message from God for his people. And so God's communicating through Hosea, and he says, Israel, in verse 1, is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself, according to the multitude of his fruit. He has increased the altars according to the goodness of his land. They have made goodly images. So the first sin that uh, Hosea calls their repentance from is the sin of self-focus and selfishness. He says that they're an empty vine. A vine is that which is planted that would grow and bring forth fruit, whether that is the the fruit of of grapes or whether that is the fruit of olives, two very common uh, agricultural products back in uh, the the time of Israel, or whether it's something else. You plant that vine so you, you can go and revisit the vine and you can glean something there to repay all of the investment that has been put in. Of course, there's investment of preparing the the, the area, uh, protecting the vineyard from uh, from animals that come in, preparing the ground, planting the the seed. Of course, vines have to be trained. Has anybody ever trained a a rose vine or trained... if you plant peas in your garden or something like that, and they, a vine that grows up, cucumbers or a vine that grows, if you just kind of let them go and do whatever they want, they're not going to be very productive. You have to train them. In the case of grapevines, if you kind of go out on 222, go out a little bit towards the west, they have the hills, they're all covered with the grapevines. And you see they put big posts in the ground and run steel cables across, and they're going to train those those vines up the cable so that they can be supported and bear fruit. So a lot goes into the investment of planting a vine, and a lot went into the investment of planting Israel as a vine in the land where they were. God had put and placed a lot of, a lot of resources into them, and there was an anticipation of a return that he would come back and see his people in the land and that they would be serving him and pleasing him and pursuing after him and there would be a return that God could glean from that. And God comes to Israel and he says, you're an empty vine. There's nothing there spiritually to be gleaned. I can't help but think of the parallels. And I'll include myself the parallels to our lives 
There's been a lot invested in our lives through this church, through your parents, through uh, the ministry that's here, through adults who, who care about you individually and spiritually. They, they've they, they've uh, they contributed an awful lot because it's their desire to see spiritual fruit in your life. And many times the vine is empty. There's nothing there. There's no interest in spiritual things. There, there's no engagement when it comes to the Word of God. This was, this was their sin. They were an empty vine, and the, the fruit that they were bringing forth was, was immediately consumed by themselves. It was almost as if, and this is a, an odd picture, but it's almost as if the vine was bringing forth fruit and then immediately eating the fruit that it was bringing forth. Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but um, that's kind of the picture that's here. And, and in verse number one, it's talking about how he brought forth a multitude of fruit, but then from the fruit that was brought forth, they were using the, that increase in order to pursue after false worship and false gods. Did you see that in verse one? It talks about how according to the multitude of his fruit, he hath increased the altars. According to the goodness of his land, they have made goodly images. So rather than bringing forth spiritual fruit, they're bringing forth idolatry. They're they're using that which has been invested in them in order to pursue after their own gods. You don't have to, it's not a big leap to see the parallel in the fact that it's easy to take the investment that has been that has been put into your life and to use it to pursue after those things that you know are not right, that you know are wrong, but you want them. To pursue after your own desires and your own lusts. That was their sin. Look at verse 2. Another sin is their heart is divided. It says that right in the beginning of the verse. Their heart is divided. Now shall they be found faulty, He shall break down their altars and he shall spoil their images. Their heart is divided. These are the people that are called the people of God. They have an identity as being those that belong to God, but yet these people of God have a wandering eye towards the offerings of this world, towards the things that are out there. Oh, that looks fun. That looks entertaining. That that looks like something that, that I would enjoy. That looks like something that would fulfill the desires of my heart. And their heart is divided. You don't have to go very far to see the parallel of the divided heart in each of us as well. It's easy to get a wandering eye, a wandering eye towards the things of this world, a wandering eye towards the offerings. And in in Israel's case, the offerings were that which the nations around them were doing. Oh, that looks fun. That looks fulfilling. That looks like something that's worthy of my investment and worthy of my time. And they were mimicking, they were copying the things of the world and pursuing after those things. And, and And it was very obvious that their heart was divided. It was, it was not as Jesus talked about singularly directed. Thine eye be single, thy body shall be filled with light. Their heart is divided. Look in verse number four. It says, they have spoken words 
swearing falsely in making a covenant. There they are talking, speaking, using words. But instead, they're using those words and using those words falsely. In verse number 13, it talks about how they have plowed wickedness and, and reaped iniquity. Ye have eaten the fruit of, you see that in verse 13? You've eaten the fruit of lies. So the third sin is that they were tied up in lies and deception. Lies and deception. Lies and deception that go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The very first sin in which there was lying and deception and hiding from God. It's not anything new. I've said this before, I'll say it again, because it bears repeating. If you have to hide it, you already know that it's wrong. If you can't be transparent and honest and open, then you already know something is wrong. If it has to be done in darkness, if it has to be done in secret, then you already know something is wrong. It's a lie, it's, it's deception, and you're living that lie. You're being wrapped up in, you're, you're being wrapped up in it. And you're going to eat the fruit of it, which is not good fruit. Doesn't taste very good. God's people, they're an empty vine focused on themselves. Their heart is divided between that which they're supposed to be after and that which they really want to be after. They're tied up in lies and deception. Look there in verse 9. It says, O Israel, thou hast sinned from the days of Gibeah. There they stood. The battle in Gibeah against the children of iniquity did not overtake them. Now, we have this use of the word, the town name, Gibeah. Now, if we had some Bible trivia, do you remember anything about the town or the city of Gibeah? You would have to go back to the book of Judges. Does anybody remember? It's a rather sordid tale. Callie wants to take a stab at it. Does it have something to do with Gideon? Good guess, but no, not, not so much Gideon. Marianne wants to take a guess, and then we've got to keep moving. So. I was going to say, it has to do with the law. That's closer, closer, because she's thinking judges, all right? And in this sense, it says that, they're, uh, that you have sinned from the days of Gibeah. So we know that this is a negative reference. The town of Gibeah was the place that was chosen by a man who was a Levite who was traveling with his concubine and they were trying to get home, but they, the sun was setting and they could not get home quick enough or fast enough. And originally they said, well, let's turn into this town. And the Levite said, no, 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 that's not one of our towns. Let's, let's go to Gibeah instead because that's a town of Israel. That's a, that's a town in the tribe of Benjamin and we'll stay there. And so they go and they begin to sleep the night in the, the streets of Gibeah and an old man finds them and he says, oh no, you don't want to be sleeping out here. You don't want to be spending the night here. Come, come, uh, you, can, you can enjoy being in my house. It'll be safe there. Everything will be fine. And the old man knew what he was talking about because only a few uh, hours later, there was, I was going to say a knock at the door. It was probably beating down the door. The men of Gibeah, the perverted, sick, and twisted men of Gibeah said, you know what? We saw a man. We saw a man. 
And we want to know him by sodomy. We want to have homosexual relationships. We want to have a party. We want to enjoy because he's someone new and that will be exciting. And the man said, oh no, you don't want to do that. Please don't do that. That's, that's a terrible, wicked thing. Uh, uh, he's staying here, anything but that. And the Levite says, well, and this is the book of Judges. There's no king in Israel. Everyone's doing what they think is right. The Levite says, well, here, you can take our my concubine, and you can have relationships with her, enjoy the night away, party, get, get it on, get wild, really enjoy life, and that will suffice. And the men said, all right, we can get it on, that'll be great. And they did that. And the Levite wakes up the next morning, he opens the door, The woman's laying on the ground. Her hands are on the threshold of the door, almost like she's scratching to try to get her way in. And she's been raped and murdered. And her body is on the floor. And the Levite is, of course, he's got a hand in all of this, but he's so upset that he takes her home, divides her body into 12 pieces, sends every tribe a piece of the body. And he says, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about this? This is wrong. And all of Israel gathers together and they say, we need to do something about this. And so they go to war against Gibeah. And you notice what, what he says here? You have sinned from the days of Gibeah. Now, I, please don't take an immature view, viewpoint of the story which I just told. It's a terrible, terrible, awful thing. And most people would look at that and say, well, you know, I might be, I might be involved in some, some sin. I might be doing some things that are not quite right, but it's not quite that bad. You know, I haven't, I haven't hurt anybody. It's not that big of a deal. I know it's probably not the, the best thing to be involved in. It's probably wrong to, to, to be involved in that sin, but I haven't hurt anybody. And they would point back to, I'm not like those men of Gibeah. And God says, you've sinned just like they, they did. You've sinned. It's kind of like you're channeling that spirit and you're living that spirit today, the same that they lived back then. And then it says at the end of the verse, the battle in Gibeah against the children of iniquity did not overtake them. In other words, they went to war. They went to battle against the, the Gibeonites. But they didn't completely eradicate the sin. The sin lives on. And it lives on, this is Hosea speaking to the people, it lives on in you. Their rebellion, their sin lives on in you. This is what they needed to repent of. Their sinful spirit went all the way back to Gibeah. And they were just living it out today. Verse 13, we kind of read this already. They had plowed wickedness and had reaped iniquity. To plow wickedness, to plow means that you got to put some time into it. you got to put some effort into planting. And where are all of their time and talents and energy and focus? Where is all of that, where is all that channeled and directed? Toward pursuing after their own lusts. To, to living in wickedness. Living in wickedness and reaping iniquity. I mean, it's just, it's just a cycle. That's what they're living for. They're involved in things that they ought not to be involved in. 
They're selfish and self-focused. It's all about living for myself. Their heart is divided. They've, they've got the name, you know, Emmaus Baptist Academy on their shirt, but yet their, their heart is after their own lusts. They're tied up in lies and deception and, and, and uh, being subversive and, and not being honest and transparent with their parents and their, their pastors. They've got a sinful spirit that goes all the way back to the, 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 the horribleness of, of Gibeah. They're plowing wickedness and reaping iniquity. They're all about pleasing themselves and pursuing after themselves. And God's coming to them and he's saying, my people, I need you to repent. You have been plowing wickedness and reaping iniquity. I need you to do something different. And that's what verse 12 is all about. So to yourselves. What's the next word? So to yourselves in righteousness. See, this is a different direction. This is why I choose that word repentance. Because they were sowing in wickedness and God says, I need you to turn around and start planting some seeds of righteousness. Start doing that which is right. Make a change. And I'm calling for that change not only because of your sin, but also, and I just want to touch on this, I don't want to do it very quickly, but because of their sin, God is, was promising judgment in this chapter. Uh, very quickly in verse number four, it says that judgment springeth up as a hemlock in the furrows of the field. Now, you might be like, what is that talking about? Well, in, in our area, and specifically on this property, and I don't know how it is at your house, but specifically on this property, we have black walnut trees. And uh, um, Titus is already closing his eyes. Black walnut trees. They grow like weeds. Probably some of you, if you've helped out on work days or whatever, you probably pulled out a black walnut sapling. Actually, most of you haven't pulled it out. You, You probably broke it off and left the rest of it there because the root goes really, really deep. You need a real shovel to get it out. There's no other way to do it. But they grow everywhere. They grow like weeds. If you expose some ground... If the, the flower beds, which are kind of exposed ground, if you leave that exposed and you don't tend to it, somehow a black walnut's going to find its way in there and that tree's going to pop up before you know it. I mean, I try to keep my flower beds somewhat clean. They're not completely untended. And somehow, some way, a black walnut winds up there and it's shooting up and I've got to get a shovel now. I can't pull it out with my hands. In this case, it's the hemlock. The hemlock that's springing up in the furrows of the field. So, so you know what a furrow is. You stick the plow in, it turns the dirt over. There's kind of a mound there of, of dirt that's not, that's not hard, it's soft. The hemlock gets in there and it grows up. And God says, my judgment's like that hemlock, it's coming out of nowhere. You won't, you won't, uh, you won't see it one day and boom, pop up the next day. Judgment's going to spring up. This is interesting in verses 5 through 8. Let's look at these verses. There's a couple of names in here, and I'll explain what they mean in just a second. But it says, The inhabitants of Samaria shall, feel, shall fear because of the calves of Beth-Avon. All right, what are the calves of Beth-Avon? Does anybody know? Some of you might know. This word, Beth-Avon, oh, and I forgot to write it down. It's a slang word for the town of... Bethel. The town of Bethel means the house of God. But this idea of Beth-Avon, or you're going to see the word Avon in just a second, it's kind of a short, 
names, kind of like saying Philly instead of Philadelphia. Um, Beth Avon or Avon was a slang word that meant kind of the idea of the house of wickedness. So they couldn't even call it the house of God anymore because that was, that was kind, of, kind of like the city of brotherly love. <laughs> Don't even call it that anymore. Call it something else. All right? Call it what it actually is. But the city of Bethel was the place that involved calves, King Jeroboam, when the kingdom split. Jeroboam set up the two golden calves in Bethel so the people would not go to Jerusalem. And he also set up two more up in Dan, which is the north part of the the country. He said, this is going to be easier for you. So it says, uh, the inhabitants of Samaria shall fear because of the calves, those golden calves of Beth-Avon. For the people thereof shall mourn over it and the priests thereof that that rejoiced on it for the glory thereof because it's departed from it. It also shall be carried unto Assyria. Okay, so if you know your history, you know that Assyria is the one who's going to take Israel into captivity in short order, not that long from now. So this is a prophecy that that's going to take place. Those calves will be a present to King Jerob. Ephraim shall receive shame and Israel shall be ashamed of his own counsel. As for Samaria, her king is cut off as the foam upon the water. Josh found out how unstable foam upon the water is, even if it's frozen in Cape May this weekend. It's not very stable at all. You step in it, you're just going to get a shoe full of, well, who knows what else it is. But So that's what cut off as the foam upon the water. Verse 8, the high place is also of Avon. So there's that shortened word, Beth-Avon, Bethel. The sin of Israel shall be destroyed The thorn and the thistle shall come up upon their altars and they shall say to the mountains, cover us and unto the hills, fall on us. That's how bad it's going to be in this place. So judgment's going to spring up. The the calves of Bethel will be destroyed. Verse 10, God says, it's my desire that I should chastise them. The idea of, of punishment for the sake of bringing them back to where they needed to be. God was going to chastise them. In verse 11, it talks about how Ephraim, which is another word for Israel, uh, they're like a, a heifer, a cow that's taught, and this cow is treading out the corn. It's, it's kind of like he's in a dream world for a cow. He's treading out corn. He's well-fed. He's not uh, uh, encumbered. He's not in captivity. He's able to have freedom. And it says God's going to pass over on their fair neck and I'll make Ephraim to ride and Judah shall plow and Jacob shall break his clods. In other words, he's going to bring them into captivity under the yoke of slavery and bondage. So their sin, Hosea points out, God points out, he points out his judgment specifically, though, to bring us to verse number 12, which is so to yourselves in righteousness. There's a call for repentance. They needed one thing. More than anything else. And that one thing is found in verse number 12. Sow to yourselves in righteousness and reap in mercy. The judgment of God was coming. It was going to spring up like that hemlock. And what they needed more than anything else was God's mercy. And how were they going to get God's mercy? Repentance. Sowing in righteousness. It's the only way. What is repentance? Well, the repentance is 
the acknowledgement of the presence of sin and the identity of sin. David said, my sin is ever before me. We don't like to acknowledge or admit to the presence of sin. It's uncomfortable. But it's the first step in repentance. Yes, there's a problem. But then repentance goes beyond just there's a problem and I don't want to get in trouble to there is now a willingness to turn away from that sin and turn to the Lord. Guys, I want you to focus on the message, not on your artwork, okay? Focus on listening. So first of all, repent. God wanted them to repent. There were some problems. There were some issues. And you know what? No matter who we may be in our Christian lives, there's always going to be this need for repentance. So no matter where you might be in, in your life today, there's going to be a need of repentance. Is there a willingness in your heart for that? Is there a seeking for the mercy of God? Number one, repent. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. And then number two, break up. Break up. Now, this doesn't mean break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend, although there's some of you that would probably do well if you did that. It's not talking about that, though. It is talking about breaking up your fallow ground. Now, fallow is the idea of hard ground. Ground that is firm. Now, how does, can you brainstorm with me a little bit? How does ground, how does dirt, how does it get hard? What's that? Cold temperatures. Cold temperatures, it gets frozen. Okay. It's not watered. It's not watered. By being stamped down. Stamped down. When it just sits there. When it just sits there. So you guys have hit on all of my main things, but think about the, the parallels because God's drawing an illustration. The illustration is your heart is the ground. Your life is the ground. And it needs to be broken up. How does ground get fallow and hard? Well, it happens a couple different ways. Titus mentioned this way. Ground gets hard through neglect. In fact, the idea, the the very meaning of the word fallow means it's untilled. You know what it means to till a garden. That's why some of you have a, or your your dad might have a rototiller. All right. That's That's the real man's way of doing it, right? That's the powerful way to do it. Get that tiller in the ground. And if you're like me and you don't have one of those, you got to do it spade by spade by spade. Get your shovel, stick it in the ground, jump on that, get the blade all the way in, break it up, pick it up, turn it over, drop it in the hole, move over 12 inches, do it again. Break it up, turn it up, drop it in the hole, move over 12 inches, do it again. In other words, it takes a lot of attention and time and labor and effort. Our hearts become fallow, they become hard, when we neglect through laziness. We neglect our, the spiritual needs of our heart because we're just lazy. We don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to put effort into it. We, we don't want to exert some diligence. We don't want to do anything that, 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 uh, that, that could 
could mean some effort on our part. We just want to be like the, 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 the baby in the, in, the, um, in the high chair. And we want somebody to just spoon, spoon feed us everything that we need to know spiritually. Now there is a place for that. There is a place for feeding the baby some baby food. And when do you think, what, do you, what, what time period is appropriate to feed a young child, to give a, ch- a child baby food? What's the acceptable time frame? The what, Zacchaeus? The baby. the baby time. When you're a baby. It's not appropriate if Levi's mommy comes in at lunchtime and says, here little Levi, here's the airplane, here it goes. Whoop, open up the hangar, you know, fly it in there. It's inappropriate. It's weird. What in the world? That's bizarre. Eat your fruit, little Levi. So it's appropriate as a baby. You guys aren't babies anymore. At least I hope not. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't be. Paul approached the, the believers there in the book of Hebrews, if Paul was the writer, but sometimes we kind of assume that he is. But he talks about how distressed he was because the people needed the bottle and couldn't handle some meat. They wanted a bottle shoved in their mouth. And spiritually speaking, we can kind of get lazy and we just want the bottle shoved in our mouth. Just give me what I want, what I need. I won't put any time or effort into it myself. I won't actually actually seek after the Lord myself. But if you shove the bottle in my face, I'll drink it. I'm glad you're not rebelling. But I also know, spiritually speaking, you can't be bottle fed your entire life. It doesn't work. So neglect through laziness. Perhaps neglect, and this, this happens to all of us, neglect through busyness. We just get busy doing stuff. And in our day and age, there's a lot of stuff to do. There's a lot of things that can take our attention. Not necessarily good things. And we're busy, and so we neglect those spiritual things, which is why we need to, our ground to be broken up from time to time. Neglect through distractedness, that we get our eyes on something else. And this happens when we pursue after sin and unrighteousness. And we get that way. And, and it is scary how I can see that in some of your lives. Where at one point you were tender, you were hungry, you were pursuing after God. And then all of a sudden there's this change. And now there's a coldness, there's a hardness, there's a distractedness. And it's like I can see it in your eyes. You got something else that you're chasing after. Neglect. That's how ground gets hard. Ground also gets hard through lack of moisture. We know that the word of God is the water that we need, the moisture that we need. And if we don't take time to take a bath, a shower in the word of God, we don't take time to, to, drop, some, to so drop some water on the ground of our hearts, we're going we're gonna to get hard over time. Another thing that breaks up ground and you can see it all across the field here in the wintertime and even in the summertime as well. When things grow in the ground, those roots actually 
kind of keep the ground from getting hard. They, they break up the ground on a really small scale. And so a lack of growth in our lives hardens our heart, causes us to become stale and, and, and hard and, and untilled. And so when we're not growing like we should, when we're not pursuing after growth and pursuing after what's my next step, Lord? What, what is the next thing that you would have me uh, to pursue after and conquer and, and, and live for you? How would you have me live for you? Lack of growth causes the ground to get hard. I think Noah mentioned this one. Ground gets hard when it is trodden down. Some people's heart gets hard through abuse. Some of that abuse is your own choice. You abuse your heart. It's like you walk over it, walk over it. I told you about the, 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 the two corners of our house because our dog is crazy possessive of, of his area and he believes the entire church property is his area. And so if you ever get anywhere close, I'm talking like walk under the canopy and, and he sees you, it's like, not on my property, I'm going to defend. What does the dog do it in up? I'm, defend my family, I will. And, and so he just runs around the house. And he runs so much, the ground gets all trodden down and no grass ever grows there. And so this time of year, it's all muddy and nasty. The ground gets abused. It gets beaten down. And some of you, this abuse is by your choice. You're trodden down, you're beating down your heart through, you're abusing your own heart with the music that you're listening to. And that fleshly, worldly music is just packing down your heart, trotting it down, stomping it down. And you wonder why you don't care about spiritual things like you used to. Some of you are abusing your heart with the the world's language, the crudeness of our world's language, the, uh, the inappropriateness of language, and you're listening to that language, and as a result, you're using that language, and it's packing down your heart. You're abusing yourself. You're abusing yourself with the entertainment that you're allowing in, the things that you're watching, the things that you're allowing your mind, your, 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 uh, your brain to think on. The sins of this world are just it is kind of like the, the big square tampers, they're called. And you do that on pavement to get it to sit down. It's like slam, 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 slam. And your heart gets hard. It's fallow. It's not broken up. Sometimes this abuse is your choice. You abuse yourself. Sometimes that abuse comes from other people. You do get mistreated. You do get disappointed. And you allow that disappointment, rather than opening yourself to God, you allow that disappointment to harden yourself from God and you begin to push away. Abuse, that's what it takes, what causes ground to be hard. But that's not the focus here. The focus is what needs to take place. And that is the ground needs to be broken up. In the case of a garden, that ground that needs to be broken up needs to allow the blade of a shovel or the blade of a plow to penetrate and to turn some things over, to break into pieces. 
And in order to break up our fallow ground, we have to allow the blade. Perhaps it is the sword of the Lord, the blade of God's word to penetrate into your heart and to turn some ground over. Allow the the blade of the plow to get into your heart and start upsetting the apple cart. Start changing some things. Allow the blade of the shovel of God's word to penetrate your heart. When you do that breaking up manually and you use a spade, you got to get in there, get that blade in there, break up what's holding it together, allow some light. Hmm. Allow some light to penetrate. And when we break up the ground of our hearts, we open our hearts to God. Whereas before we're closed to God, we don't want any light. We're happy in darkness. We love darkness rather than light because our deeds are evil. When we break up our ground, we allow light to penetrate. We're now transparent instead of closed off to, our, to the lies of our sin, to the deception of our sin. We allow the ground of our heart to be rearranged. That's what happens when the blade goes in. It starts moving some things around. Breaking up our fallow ground means we're willing to allow God to do some rearranging of the furniture of our lives. To move some things that need to be moved. We need to allow God to use the hammer of his word. I thought about going, running to my house. Miss Jackie has a meat tenderizing hammer. Your wife, your wife, (laughs) you don't have a wife. Does your mom have one of those? Thankfully, you know, the one that has a flat part on one side. And then the other side, it's got the, it's got the, the spikes. They're not really spikes, but the points, all right? And what do you do with that? You take that meat in the package, you put it on the counter, and you just start whacking it. You can go to town with that. The more that you, you whack on it, in theory, right, the tender, more tender it becomes when you cook it. And we break up our ground by allowing God's word to... Whack us upside the head sometimes. Wake us up so that we're tender. Repent. Break up. What's number three? Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. Seek. Seek. This is our part. After we repent, after we say, you know, I I don't want my sin anymore, and we allow, we open ourselves up to God, and we allow the blade of God's word to turn some things over, we allow the water of, of God's word to soften things up, now we need to seek after God. What does it mean to seek God? What does it mean to seek anything? Well, to seek for something means that you go in search of it or quest for it. You look for it. You search for it by going from place to place to place. You inquire for it. You ask for it. You solicit it. You endeavor to find it or gain it by any means. You you, you seek after God, his name and his face by asking for his favor, for his direction, for his assistance. God, I need you to be real in my life. And I'm not going to give up until I get some answers. I'm looking for you, God. And the reason why he commands them to seek, it's because he says it's time to seek the Lord. 
The time is not later. The time is not when you're an adult. The time is not, you know, some other time. It's now. The time is now. Seek the Lord now. The time has come. I hope you'll take the time this coming week to memorize some of our verses. Let me read some of them to you. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 24 and 25. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. God is good to the person who's seeking after him. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 10 and 11. Glory in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. You may have heard some of the things, some of the parallels to the nation of Israel and You've seen some things in your own heart that, you know what, things are not what they ought to be. Things are not quite right. Things are not what they should be. God's waiting for you to turn to Him. God's waiting for you to seek after Him. And if you do, He will abundantly pardon. There's forgiveness and restoration that is available if you'll turn to Him. Our part is to seek after God. But did you notice at the end of the verse, there's there's a response of God. For it's time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. God's response when we seek him. Deuteronomy 4.29, another memory verse. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. You're familiar with Jeremiah 29, verses 12 and 13. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. You seek after God, God will respond. It's time to seek the Lord till he come. Do you have a desire to see God come to winter camp? That's what I want to happen. I want God to come. I know he's everywhere. I get that. I understand that. But I mean come in a special way. Come in a way that gets some of you who are lost, gets your attention, gets you, gets you uh, uh, kind of straightened out as to what's holding you back, and you come to Christ, and you, you're, you're gloriously converted, and you're saved. Till God comes in a way that some of you who, who are saved, but you have grown cold and hard and distant and your, your focus is somewhere else, your heart is divided, uh, you're, you're bearing fruit to yourself and no one else, you're self-focused and selfish and, and your attention is somewhere else and God gets your attention and he breaks some things up and rearranges some things in your life so that now you're back to where you used to be. I want God to come. Do you want God to come? Is it important enough to you in these days prior to get on your face before God and to pray and to beg Him, God, we need you to come. Otherwise, it's flat, it's dead, it's dull and boring and nothing happens. I need you to come. 
Seek the Lord till he come. Till he come and reign righteousness. Now I thought this was interesting. Because what did he just say in the beginning of verse 12? Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Okay, well, if the righteousness is being rained down from God, how are we to sow righteousness? Well, it's simply this. When, for those of you who are saved, when you got saved, there was some repentance that was there. You wanted to turn away from sin, but you didn't have the ability to turn away from sin. You didn't have the ability to, maybe I should say it this way, not, you do have the ability to turn but you don't have the ability to get rid of all the sin in your life. You don't have that power. You don't have that capability. You're a slave to sin. You're a captive of sin. But when you repent and turn to God, God gives you the power to overcome that sin. And it's the same idea when I repent and I say, I want to choose righteousness. I want to seek after God. That choice, that decision moves the hand of God. And now God is there helping you to be the righteous person that you need to be. It's not a performance. It's not look at me, look at all the righteous things that I do. But it's really the work of God in your heart. You seek after God. You allow yourself to be opened up before God. And he comes and reigns some righteousness in there. He leaves behind the fruit of the Spirit as you submit to the Spirit. That's what I want in my life, and I want the same thing for your lives. Break up your fallow ground. This is why this is so important. This is why this is so significant. God's message to his people was repent, break up, open yourself to me, And seek me. And God's message to us today is repent. Break up the ground of our hearts. Open ourselves up to God and seek him. And now the choice is up to you whether or not that's something that you want to pursue. And I hope most of you, I hope all of you will say that is something that I want. That is something that I need. I'm going to pray for that, and I'm going to prepare my heart for that. And I'm encouraged that when we seek the Lord, he comes. He'll come and reign righteousness. What we need more than anything else, God's righteousness being poured upon our lives. Give me, Lord, that tender heart. Do you have a tender heart towards God? Are you able to be directed, turned? Are you sensitive to when the preaching of God's word kind of points out something specific in your life? Are you tender? That's what, that's what we want to work on this week. Having a tender heart. I want to take just a moment and you can close your Bibles, put your notes away on your lap there and Just bow before the Lord and just say, God, would you help me to have a tender heart? Would you break up the hard ground of my heart? God, I'm not not affected by your word as much as I used to be. I'm I'm not impacted by the preaching and spiritual truth like I used to be. I don't, I don't desire the things spiritually like I used to. Would you tenderize my heart? 
And then I want you to just pray this prayer, God, and I hope you'll mean it. First of all, consider if you'll mean it. But if you do mean it, say, God, I'm opening myself up to you. Perhaps before the book is closed, it's got a band around it. It's private. No one else is in. No one else is allowed in. Say, God, I'm opening the book of my heart and my life to you. Nothing's off limits. I'm giving it all to you. Would you work in my life in this this coming week? We pray that to the Lord. We'll close in prayer in just a second. Dear God, I pray that the, the truths of this passage will grip our heart. pray that the reality of how easy and how quickly our hearts become hard, I pray that you'd get our attention with that. You'd help us to see the need for us to, be, to have and maintain a tender heart towards you. We pray for the days that are ahead the preaching that we'll hear, the time that we'll spend in your word. Lord, if our heart is hard, it will just flow right off. Nothing will change. In fact, we may even become harder than we were before. But if our heart is open... We've exposed ourselves. We've allowed your truth to to break some things, rearrange some things. Then the water of your word will be freely accepted and it will do its work of further work of softening. So I pray that each one of the hearts that are here this morning will be tenderized, will be softened, will be open to whatever it is that you have for them. I know some in this room that need to be saved. They're struggling with what it is that's holding them back. And I pray that you would clearly, vividly show them where their need is and that they would be willing when you show that to them to deal with it, to surrender it to you. I pray that we would see some glorious conversions in the next couple days. I pray that we would see some restoration Restoration to growth, restoration to fellowship, restoration to pursuing after you. And we know that will only happen when we allow your word to do its work in our hearts. And I pray that we would be willing. Bless the rest of our day, we pray today. Thank you for waking us up a little bit and speaking to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.